Friends, I am so pleased that I have the pleasure of interviewing another female entrepreneur in what isn't usually considered a female industry. I think her story is inspiring, compelling, family-driven, and one that makes me want a new hobby. Nicole, would you introduce yourself to our friends? Sure. Hi, I'm Nicole Darlin. I live over in Bellevue, Washington, born and raised here, and actually live in the house next door to where I was brought home from the hospital next to my parents. I'm 46. I have three of my own little people and married, and he has two of his own children, so we are the the Brady Bunch. I don't know what else to say, except I'm grateful that you asked me to do this, and I, I am an entrepreneur. I think by birth, it's, it seems like from looking at your, your page. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say like by trial and error, but also just I'm not one of those people who has an MBA or any of that. I have a BA in drama with a with a concentration in Spanish and international studies. I have what I would consider like a kitchen table MBA from just the family that I grew up in and my specifically my dad. So, And I think that's the best way to go. I just had a long conversation with my dad today. I was like, dad, I'm still trying to make it. I'm still trying to make the Joe Rogan money. <laughs> He's like, maybe you'll get there, maybe you won't, but the adventure is in the journey. It certainly is and you would be surprised. And if you think about it hard enough, everything will show up. You're a fisherman because I don't know any other woman that fishes. Statistics are probably in favor of it's a more male-dominated industry slash sure. pastime slash I grew up fishing. I wasn't this hardcore fisherman, but I mean, I have pictures. I won by my bed actually of being on our family's boat, polycraft mm-hmm. so up in the San Juans when we were just little. I mean, I'm probably you know, two, three years old and reeling in a fish with my dad and my older brother standing there. Okay. We always went boating, we went crabbing, we went fishing. And I really went on my very first kind of solo trip with my dad when I was about 13 years old up to, to Canada, to the Campbell River to salmon fish. And I really liked it. Obviously, it would be a more familiar thing for a girl in a family who had someone who took them fishing as a little person in that regard, as opposed to being a grown woman or even just a young woman thinking, you know what, fishing sounds awesome, I want to do that. But I would say the likelihood of someone like me getting into fishing is much higher and the probability is higher if in fact I start- You're exposed early. Yeah, exactly. And I just happen to like it. I could have been exposed to it and been like, yeah, not for me. Do it for the enjoyment of it. If you don't enjoy it, okay, then don't do it. So you basically grew up kind of fishing, but not really fishing. It was part of your family's lifestyle. When did it take a turn that you were like on the cover of a magazine? That's kind of what I want to know. (laughs) I know, slightly big jump there. You know, we were talking a little bit before this and I was saying how you think about things hard enough or whatever, things show up. And as I said, when I was 13, I took this trip with my dad to Campbell River. Then when I was in college, he started doing this project down in Southern Chile as his retirement hobby and something that he had kind of dreamed about since he was in his 20s. And, and so when I started going down there, I didn't even actually cast a fly rod for the first couple of trips, but then I did and I just thought it was cool. And I, and I had like a crash course, totally bass backwards way of how most people would learn to fly fish. And I won't really go granular into that, but <laughs> I had a- You don't want to do a river runs through it. <laughs> but I'll just say this, I acknowledge that Every single person has their own path and circumstances and way things are. I, in that case, and in my own case, had a really privileged way of being exposed to this stuff because my dad had these lodge operations. So we had guides and we had people who could show me and we had, you know, the boats and the the things that were necessary. I started fishing down there and because of the guy, Jeff Edvalds, who was taking these amazing pictures of the lodge and the fishing and had been on one of the scouting operations with my dad. He's he's since, be, he's like a member of our family, one of our, he and his wife, dearest friends. And he was a guy who mm-hmm. basically was one of the forefathers of really underwater photography for fishing. Oh. And I'm a good angler. Some people are kind of fishy. I'm pretty fishy. I'm really fishy. 
I know how to be in front of a camera. Just my skill set and just the way I knew how to handle fish and I wasn't like squeamish about doing. When he was down there and I was down there, we would take all these photos for him to get published and sure. it helped the marketing of the locations and the lodges. And that's how I started appearing on these magazine covers and inside best magazines. And this was in the days of magazines, newspapers, radio, mm -hmm. TV. And I started being seen on these magazine covers. And when I was 26, so in about 2003, started my real first company which had been a suggestion of my dad because I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. I graduated mm -hmm. from college. I kept going to Chile, which is when it's our fall and winter here, it's their spring and summer. And I would spend time every single year down there and I'd come back and I would talk about my trips or they'd show up in magazines or whatever. I was really enthusiastic about it and okay. really helped in some of the decisions down there at the lodge. And so my dad said, well, why don't you think about trying to send people to our lodges or something? So he gave me an idea. That is basically how that all started. One of the things that I would say, because obviously this is like centered around and focused around entrepreneurship and, and I speak about my dad, I can't help it. I'm wearing his watch. He passed away this past year in May from a very brief and acute pancreatic cancer battle. And I'm sorry. Brutal, a brutal loss, but he's here all the time. And I wear his watch as like my superpower watch. And, and I talk to him all the time. I hear him and I play like sound bites over and over in my head of mm -hmm. conversations we've had and things he's said. And he's always said, not just to me, to anyone, because he always tried to help other people hone in what it was that they were good at or, you know, give them ideas on how to go about like capturing their dreams and mm -hmm. making them happen. And he always has said at the very bare, bare minimal line, business is solving problems. There is a problem and there are problems everywhere. Find a problem that requires a solution and find a solution that people will pay you for to solve. He just made things very simple. The solution that you've come up with for this one thing over here and in like find other problems along the way when you're in business or anywhere, but you solve that problem and that solution may be the very solution that somebody else needs. And I tell my kids this all the time. We all have different opportunities that present themselves at different points in time. It doesn't mean every single opportunity is one we should grab onto, but consider them that my parents gave us lots of opportunity. You either work or you can do activities that, you know, may better yourself or that you're interested yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. I chose the path of doing these different activities where I enjoyed them or I had strengths or whatever. When it came to travel, it was like, I chose to go down there every time I was asked because that was an opportunity being laid at my feet it, to go somewhere that was different than where I live and to go and experience that. And you never know, what are you going to eat down there? What are you going to, who are so you So like a little bit of the travel bug and an opportunity to do something that you found you enjoyed. I loved it so much down there and had such a passion for it that when my dad said, you know, why don't you think about selling trips down there? He didn't mean work for me. Right. He set up my own outfitter business or travel. Okay. Yeah. And I would get a commission for trips that I would sell. From that point, I came up with a name. I'm also one of those crazy people who's like, there are certain things I need in my own head matrix and heart matrix to like make it feel legit. And it's mm -hmm. like, until I had my business cards, I didn't feel like it was real or whatever. I started going to trade shows, got a booth made up and did all this stuff. So uh -huh. I start by just sending people down to our two lodges in Chile. And from there, the customers wanted other things. Like they'd come into Santiago, Chile. And since they had to overnight, they could get a city tour. And then some wanted to tag on to the end of their trip. And I was catering to women and men, like couples or just two buddies traveling or father and so whatever it was. And some of them wanted to, they had time in the city, like on their way out so they could go on a half day wine tour or whatever. So 
My business grew into having operators in Chile, Argentina, Peru, Brazil, Ecuador, and around South America so that I could do these very, very high-end custom travel trips for my customers who may or may not have been fishermen. And I had a cluster of other very high-end lodges and operations where I'd send people. So I think that's like so unique and inspiring. It just happened because your dad suggested it to you. You're like, yeah, okay, I can do this. Yeah, it was a suggestion. And then as time went on, it was very clear. I mean, I had customers who started some of the largest travel companies on the planet. Like my customers were some of the founder of Expedia. And you go, whoa, a travel company. It's like really big. Why are they using an outside custom whatever company to do their travel to these places? Yeah, why wouldn't they use their own? Yeah, is because I became at the time, and I won't claim to be that anymore, but I, at the time, like one of the top specialists in traveling to Southern Chile and Argentina, because it was not as simple as looking online, trying to gather information and piecing it together. I tried that to see what it would be like to do that. And mm -hmm. I ended up in some places where I was like, well, I see that they hung from the chandelier out in the hallway to make this room look the way that it looked online. And, you know, <laughs> part of town is not I won't, I won't tell you about that one time in Costa Rica where I stayed in like a trucker's lodge I, I could have ended up dead <laughs> yeah well that's a thing and that's basically at the time especially back then which for me that was like the early to mid 2000s and then okay at that time I became one of the top specialists for going to that area to, to do what it is I was sending people to do. And that in my fly fishing industry world, I spoke at all kinds of different fly fishing clubs and around the country and at the trade shows and stuff about the specifics and what it is and where it is that I suggested people go or how they go about things. And I landed myself in places like being the first female to ever speak at the New York Anglers Club in New York, which is an all men's, like one of the oldest fly fishing club in the country. Whoa. They've got like inside, they've got the mantle that George Washington leaned up against when he gave his final address to his generals and they've got no way. I was the very first female they'd ever invited to speak to their club. Nicole, I think that's really impressive. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it like you you did it though. You took a suggestion and you ran with it and all of a sudden there you are, the only female who had ever been asked. We've probably now had many others and I'll tell you what's really funny is that I try to not take myself too seriously. I think that probably in this whole big that fits right in with our podcast, nothing serious seriously. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> I know that when I set out to do to do what I was doing, I really could encapsulate what I was doing by saying everybody has one story. There's only one story we all have. And at the time, I basically just said, I am that person in this industry. I want to be that person that there are people walking around, let's say a trade show or someone picks up a magazine cover or whatever it is. And it, eventually I was on TV and had a series that ran a couple seasons on the sportsman channel called fly fisherman. If I could be that person or one of those people where some guy could say, well, well, if she could do it, my wife would do it. Or if she could do it, my daughter could do it. Or if she could go there. I could ask my so-and-so to go there as like a beacon to, you know, you don't have to be this really tomboyish or like really butch chick wearing flannel and whatever. And, you know, right. doesn't care about makeup. You could still her. be like, yeah. you could still be feminine for any other reason than it was hard for me personally to identify anybody else that was anywhere. And again, we didn't, we had different connectivity to other regions right? in, in the country mm -hmm. than we do now. And so the girls and the gals that, you know, would go to those shows I am friends with to this day, we were very regional, for instance, okay. you know, I befriended people who are more in the Oregon, California, whatever, definitely people on the East Coast when I was back there doing trade shows and stuff like that. But in general, it's just kind of, we were hubs of different places where these small little groupings of there were some females doing this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, interest. and I just happened to be one of those people. Who, when I started out, I acknowledged, and I still do, it was like joining a boys club. I knew that. I, and I didn't have a chip on my shoulder about it. I mean, it. they're I, all over the place, aren't they? It didn't matter to me. It's like, I'm joining a group of people, so to speak, 
that has been this way for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I'm not that person who, while I'm opinionated and whatever, I'm also not one of those people that tries to put up a big stink about things that I don't think are actually that important because I am sure. what I am. If I do what it is that I know I can do in anything that I do, I'm going to come up against pushback because that's just nature anyway. Overall, I'm going to prove who I am, not because of my mouth and what I say I do. I'm going to prove by my actions and how I carry myself and what I do so I can be mm -hmm. taken seriously. For in some cases, it was like, you know, snap of a finger. It was, it was just perfect. Like, it sh you hope it would be with a lot of people or most people, but yeah. I obviously came up against, I could sit there and talk about things in granular detail about what I knew and what I'd experienced and where I'd been. And I'd literally have those like glossy eyed guys come up and be like, that's nice, honey. Tap me on the shoulder and walk over to the guy in my booth who knew Nothing. far less than me, <laughs> far less about his experiences, whatever. Yeah. And I would take copious notes. That stuff for me, and I think it ties into what we're talking. It's like, not get bogged down in things that don't matter and let that stuff go. You know, you can be frustrated for two seconds, but if you focus on the small fraction of people who would treat someone like that that way, where I was, exactly where I was standing, my dad mm -hmm. Say about me from the time I was tiny I always knew where I was standing I knew who I was around where I was and I knew my surroundings mm -hmm. and I acted accordingly I still do and he is right it doesn't matter if that one person just did that or even if a handful of them did because the mass majority will understand that what I'm talking about what I've done whatever it doesn't matter if I'm a male or a female I know what I'm talking about and right. by the way mastery I earned my stripes, but and I will say, because I am a female and at the time, I made sure to be selling what it was I was selling as opposed to what I wasn't. And I was, they didn't make fly fishing clothes for women so much back then. They made like smaller cuts of male clothing and whatever. Okay. And I literally would button way up so I had no cleavage out. And, uh -huh. and I mean, my face looked feminine. I wore makeup. I looked a little bit more, did that with intention so that it was like, okay, she's classy. I did that for a number of years. And finally, one of my friends, Kevin, came up to me and he's like, you know, Nicole, I think it's okay now. I think you can wear a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> you can wear a V-neck. It's okay. And so, and I think about that because I did everything with great intention. I wanted to be taken seriously. And I was, when I was filming my show and I'd been doing this for a while, I got pregnant with my twins. Mm -hmm. and I finished filming. I was very pregnant while doing that. And I was doing some different like spay fishing demos and stuff down in Oregon. And I spoke to this guy and he just totally spoke to my heart and said what I needed to hear at the time, because I got really nervous. Okay. If I left to go be a mom for a while, which twins was going to require, uh, yep. I could still work, but I wasn't going to be traveling and I yep. wasn't going to be doing what I was doing like before, at least for a while. I got really nervous and was like, I'm just really nervous to step away because it took me so long to get to where I am. And basically I don't want to be forgotten or I don't want to like lose touch so much that yeah. nobody knows who I am when I come back. And he just, his name's Gary Swanson. And he said, Nicole, go be a mom. It's the most important thing. I want to be a mom and do what my mom did. And not yeah. because, oh, I was like lazy and I just didn't want to go to work. What <laughs> it was to me was what I wanted to emulate. And I don't think there's anything wrong or weird with that. So I had my career before I had children. As it began to go up and tick upward and my like my persona was gaining all this ground and all this stuff and I was getting all these having all these achievements and all this stuff I just had these aha realization moments of now that I have this career and I'm doing all these amazing things and I'm gaining all this knowledge mm -hmm. I don't have anyone to pass this to and I don't oh. have anyone to share this with and it felt okay really empty that's my story and that's how I felt and um, yeah so I, I may I may not cut your part out but I'm gonna cut my part out because yeah. I feel like I never actually 
achieved my place, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. where I could just exit stage left and then come back. And so now I have kids and my husband's like, well, you could just be a government contractor. I was like, that sounds like a death sentence. so here are the other two things and maybe i'll lose some of your listeners when i say this but knowing you maybe i won't but the two other things that happened when i had that feeling i was i well i thought to myself i don't want to be that woman who everybody thinks is so amazing and look at what she's done and look at all these accomplishments and look where she gets to go and all the stuff she's done and then everybody goes home to their families and i go home alone to be with myself with my cats. That made me so sad. And that was a really strange juxtaposition of I am doing all this amazing stuff and I'm have this I've built an amazing life and like this is an, this is incredible. And I have a lot yeah. of there was this other side of emptiness that it left and that meant that what I was doing was not actually fulfilling me in total. Two other things happened were so this guy called me. I didn't know him this guide from down on the columbia river and he asked me if i wanted to go down and fish for springer salmon which are like these delicious i know it's like what's the difference between that salmon and that but it's this particular run of salmon like it just has this amazing called me asked me if i want to do it it was like the next day or something like that and i was like uh because it was going to require a long drive and over sure this thing and a drive back so i'm like i i I call my mom, but I'm thinking, okay, my mom's going to say no because she's, we've done some crazy like adventure stuff. She's done some amazing things with me, but totally not her style to just, you know, drop things, jump in a car, do a road trip and like whatever. Yeah. But I'm going to ask her anyway, because I don't want to drive down there by myself and it's long. So I call her and I'm like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, sure, let's go. And I was like, oh, and I sat there. And I will never forget that. In that moment, I thought, that's what being a mom is. Like you will do things that you wouldn't necessarily do because you'll do them for your child. It's true. And spend the time. And so we went and it was totally fun. I had these two kids and then I'm like, okay, the Oprah Winfrey show called me like weeks after I had the twins to ask me if I would want to go and teach a couple of their guests to fly fish in Yosemite National Park. And I'm sitting in there. Oh, really? I'm like, are you kidding me? Honestly, like I, you can't say no to the Oprah Winfrey show, you know, and I, it was this really elated and also really exasperated feelings I had because, yeah. And I told them, you know, I'll figure out how to make it work if whatever. They ended up picking this other couple to do it. And honestly, thinking back on it, thank God they did because I have no idea how I would have even attempted to pull it off. But it ended Can't up even being, imagine. Yeah, those shows of like it was actually to teach Oprah and her best friend Gail how to fly fish, and it was in Yosemite. But I got that call, and where they're like, we we couldn't do this search without contacting you too. And I just thought to myself, okay. This is God telling me it's going to be okay. I'm in this position where I am now, quite literally, birthing mm-hmm. twins. And I feel like I've literally been run over and backed over 30 times by a truck because I had them naturally and I'm trying to recover from everything. Oh, and- good, good Lord. <laughs> I cannot even imagine. But that was one of my signs. Yeah. That I in- the- internally took it as. This is just to show me that I'm relevant, it's fine, and this is the most important thing that I'm doing right now. And so when they became about, finally when they were about one, I went on my first trip to Brazil with my cousin to start getting back into what I do. Mm-hmm. The second, when they were two, I went down and did my first expedition again down into to Argentina. When I started to come back, I found out I was pregnant with my third child, who I call my little exclamation mark, little Wyatt. (laughs) When he was about to be one is when I actually split with his dad. And I've got to get myself into a position where I can take care of my kids. And if he won't help do that financially ever, I have to be able to take care of my children who are all now very young. You Mm -hmm. don't really go when you're just about to turn 40 and you've got three tiny little kids and you don't go put like a for sale sign out in your front yard and go, look at this package and think, wow, that's amazing. Let me like hook up with her. So 
my wheelhouse is this industry and I need to do something where I have skin in the game and it's not to rev back up my travel business because I can't actually even really take those trips right now. I'm not, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, with three kids. Okay, so we're gonna play a little game real fast. We're gonna play Name That Fish. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. It's all about fun. There are only five and you just start with the tough one. <laughs> I have no idea what that one is. Okay, okay, the first one is a redfish. That's a saltwater fish. I've caught those before, like down in Texas for whatever. Okay, that's a warm All one. Right. The next one, that's blowfish. The next one's a clownfish. Yep. The next one, is that a grouper? Mm -hmm. It's a big one. And the last one is really pretty, but <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's an invasive species, the lionfish. It's the lionfish? Yeah. People are being paid to catch it <laughs> because oh, it kills everything. <laughs> oh my God. It's so pretty. It's so pretty, isn't it? But I can see why they'd call it a lion also because it looks like it has a mane. You did great. So Nicole, so you've built like now from my calculation at least two businesses. Yeah, more than that though, because sure. my stepping stone between where I am now and where I was with the travel deal is that in that moment of having my really, he was literally just one. I went down to this local factory that my dad had originally helped start and help fund to a manufacturing plant. Washington State down in Woodland, which is in Southern Washington, is actually a hub of some of like rich historical manufacturing American-made fishing rod businesses. So there's a factory down there. It's now called Composite Ventures, but at the time it was North Fork Composites. And then here they make tubular composites, which are basically tubes for all kinds of things, but mainly fishing rods. And the extra business is edge rods, which are rods that if we don't, if we didn't send something out that was for someone else to build out and put their fishing guides on it and their grips and their whatever and dress them up and put jewelry on them themselves. Uh -huh. The finished ones that we did not that was our brand were called Edge Rods. And I had been contacted by this company. They were like, we wanna figure out how we can get you to just fish our rods. And I was like, well, you're gonna have to make fly rods because from what I can tell, like all you have right now are spinning rods and conventional tackle rods. And so they made me up some samples to fish in 2014 when I went down to Chile and I tested those out. I went down there to go speak to, to the CEO Alex, who had been asking me if maybe I would do an apparel line for them. I went down there and we sat, he handed me their marketing, this big notebook. And he's like, just tell me what you think about this. And I, I looked at it and I opened it up and I'm like, what is this? This is the branding and with what the messaging is for when one of the business partners is Gary Loomis, this famous guy in fishing who had who made the, the company G Loomis and various others. But you have like a plan for when he's alive and then you have a plan for when he's dead. This is very strange. I, <sighs> I don't like the way that your branding looks. I personally wouldn't want to wear it. It looks sure. Crazy. And this is what I would do and blah, blah, blah. And he shows me some materials that he'd found that finish out that look like wood and all this stuff. I'm like, you definitely should do this and you should make these into fly rods because they look like sort of a new bamboo and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So we have this whole conversation. Anyway, after that long thing wrapped up, I uh -huh. started to head home and like 15 minutes up the road. What did he say? He's like, he's like, after that, he's like, this is not about being a brand ambassador or an apparel line. He's like, after that whole entire conversation and meeting, I, I'm trying to build this company and this brand. And so although it had been around for a little while, it was mm -hmm. really more on like startup terms. And I'm trying to, to build my executive team. And I want you to be my vice president of global marketing and brand development and um, to be a partner. And I'm sitting there on the phone driving and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> That's incredible. So the long and the short of it is, I accepted that position. It was supposed to be part-time, but I don't really do anything part-time. And I was I only on there a couple or a few days a week, but do the rest of my work at home. And mm -hmm. I, I was the fly fishing person of that company. I rebranded them. That brand is now worn and I am proud of that all over the planet. And it's amazing. I refreshed it and I, you know, started apparel there and I helped bring our fly rods to market and test and 
made things look pretty. And I mean, for someone with a BA in drama and music, (laughs) this sounds pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, again, I don't think we go to school to be everything that we are. I think we go to school. My dad used to say like undergraduate work is to learn how to learn and to also, Oh my God, your dad and my dad, same soul. (laughs) And then for real, (laughs) that's why we were homeschooled. He's like, you just need to learn how to learn. Yeah. Learn how to learn. And if you want to then go on to further schooling, first try that thing and see if you even like it or you're good at it, or if it's something you want to really dig into, then go back to graduate school or not, obviously, but, and that's what he had done. And I felt that was very sound guidance. And that's exactly why you know how to learn how to learn. I've always been into design. I will say this, even though I said, you know, I never thought I'd have a, like a career. It was never something. The only thing that I ever, ever considered we had this really special woman, Sandra Emery, who's from this area that did all of my parents' like interior uh, design work and for my dad's businesses and his offices and stuff. And she was okay. on the International Color Committee, which basically- Oh my God, they pick all the Pantone colors. Yes, they pick the colors <laughs> like five years they in advance of what everything is yes. going to be in X year from cars to furniture. Yes. Yeah, she was on No, that I know. <laughs> so I was like, if I were going to do anything, I love fabrics, materials, the way things look. I have a very good eye for design and style and color. I would be an interior designer. Like that was what I thought. And then I met my husband in 2017 at a trade show where my company was launching officially what we'd already brought to trade shows the years before to bring uh-huh. out show people, whatever. We were launching our fly rod line. We had launched this amazing linen rod out of that material that finished like wood. It was linen rod. We made this rod. We did this Kickstarter. We had ores that we were doing. So we had done all these projects plus all of our conventional stuff. And I was at this trade show. And on the last day, I met my husband who was across the aisle working for another, a different company. And it turns out he was from Europe and he was working on getting a visa to come work in our country. And he was like the face of the brand there to refresh it and lend mm-hmm. all of his expertise. In the mix of everything when we met, things went south. He did get his visa, but basically the visa basically evaporated after he left that company. Oh. Every kind of fishing is trying to create some kind of imitation of something that a fish would eat because you're trying to make it yeah, eat of course. It. I just so why do you love it? Yeah, I, I enjoy the places that I can do it and have done it. I've been on some trips where I've caught nothing or just tiny, tiny things where we're actually targeting something much larger and haven't caught one of those for an entire week on the other side of the planet. And yet I can stand in the water, sometimes chest deep, using a different word here, a spay rod, which is a two-handed fly fishing rod where you mm-hmm. have a thicker line, rubber line, that is loading the rod and you, you keep your fly basically attached to the water instead of bringing it up into the air so that okay. you don't have a lot of space in your in your back or it's really windy you keep all your line dragging along the water to load your rod and shoot it way far across i stood there doing that listening to enya on my ipod and oh. you know in this beautiful place and it's just meditative in that way and i i had recently lost a very important person in my life and I was Mm -hmm. thinking about her and I think for me that's probably if I really were to break everything down being in the moment when I'm fishing but when I'm fly fishing because I'm thinking about what I'm doing and the other stuff that's like important to me I'm thinking about in those times or being present and mm-hmm. being all about making sure my line's going where I want it and making sure my fly is being presented the way I want it. Or if the fish is on, like having that rush. So it of, ca- it's the type of activity that makes you be engaged with the moment yeah, as opposed to something where you can just tune it out. I well, love that. Are different for different people. And some sure. people can do that while they're golfing or playing tennis or whatever. But for me, well, I will say like, I, I have been, in times where I'm super hardcore, I fished in, in that particular case, the spay casting, my dad, I took my dad on that trip and I was so happy to be able to take him someplace amazing. Cause he'd taken me all these cool places and mm-hmm. we went on this trip and we just had this amazing time together and lots of laughter. And he was the only one that caught one fish. And we laughed about that too. Cause we thought it was going to be gigantic, but it was much smaller than we thought. And really 
being present, being in beautiful places, focusing and breathing and all of that. I, I can fish for 18 hours straight. I did. Okay. I can do that. But I also am that person who can be on a drift boat and I'll just sit there and watch other people fish or just talk to the guide or talk to my friends that are in the boat or just sit quietly. Or if we're on the shore, just like sit down, put my rod down and just be in that spot. And my life and the way that it is very full, very busy. I have these three kids that I have I mean, time. I would give anything to be in a boat by myself right, yeah. right now. <laughs> I sometimes relish long drives by myself. But, <laughs> exactly. But like- well, let's move into a little bit of entrepreneurism and some questions. Yeah. The worst advice you've received since becoming an entrepreneur. It can be funny. It can be cringeworthy. It's whatever you want. Well, if this is a funny question because I've actually thought about this because I can tell you like so much of the sound advice and stuff, but I know because I feel, I feel like, like people give women bad advice or just mean. Oh, well, well, I guess. Okay. Now that you say that when I started Masternin, mm-hmm. uh, which, which I founded and I just love the fact that other people think it's like, it's my husband's business or what it's my business. It was actually my idea for a, like almost three years. I did every single part of it myself because he was not allowed to. I had to step away from my other company because it was either choose to stay there where we started manufacturing factory and this is an OEM out of that factory Mm -hmm. and like let this whole thing go that I'd already invested in it had already become something where we solved problem that needed a solution and it was the most expensive thing on the market and it was being touted as the best I was like do we just let that go because when all the dust settles I want something to be standing so yeah I think what's more appropriate to say here is that people on the out outside who make judgments about what is actually happening on the inside or like the advice, the quote unquote advice that Mm -hmm. was given by other people who don't know anything about what it actually means to start a business, create products that do not exist and make them in a way that are actually received highly by those who would actually be the ones to buy them. We were told things like, you need to go into retail. You need to have discounts for guides. Thanks for your commentary, but you are- That's exactly what it is, isn't it? It's commentary. We had someone tell us, and by the way, by someone who I just adore, he's amazing. He's, he runs a huge company in our industry and he's lovely and very bright. He saw our logo at the beginning and we were talking to him about mm-hmm. maybe collaboration. And he's like, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, you might want to think about not using the cursive writing for the master nymph portion oh, of the cursive is writing, so amazing. But you pro- it's kind of a little bit like stodgy old. And I was like, well, that's cool that he has that opinion. I We're not changing it. I like that. That is the throwback for the shield of our logo is the mm-hmm. upfront, powerful, whatever. And the yeah. other part is the classic. Somebody would look at that and think of like prestige, touches of tradition. We're not it's changing Nostalgia. That. And actually, our branding is something that people absolutely love. And it is a prestige piece. It is powerful. And we get compliments on it all the time. And so that's so awesome. When I create a logo, which I did for Edge and NFC, but also for this, it's like my matrix is it has to be something that appeals to the youth because that's the future of the sport and all this stuff. Might not afford it now, but if they they love the, the brand and they love this. They will think about it. They will marinate on it. And then eventually when they can afford it, they will buy it. And it has to appeal to the older generation because those are the people, at least I've always chosen to be in premium brand. My dad used to say, you're either the best or you have to be the cheapest. Swimming in the middle is a never ending like saga and game. There are too many. Yeah, I mean, your dad basically could have written the book first be first, then be best. I had this guide in Norway who had the G. Loomis fish tattooed, that skeleton fish, the fear no fish fish. Okay. So many people actually have seen, maybe they didn't know what it was, but tattooed across from side to side, his back shoulder, like humongous 
Whoa. tattoo. And I was like, holy crap, that guy buys into that brand so ma- majorly that he marked his body with it. And I, so I've always thought about that. Since. Yes. And, and so it was like, this has, it has to be something that if someone so, so, so bought into and loved our brand and our company and everything that they would mark themselves with it. Well, we have a father and son who have done that very thing that live in Belgium. They have literally tattooed up their forearms. No way. Our fishing rod with a reel and our branding on their arms. So let's talk about something that maybe you had to give up while you were making all of these businesses, but that you can't wait to get back into. Fishing? (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I I figured that would be the answer. And I'm looking forward to traveling more again. And it's not COVID shut that down, it's just resource-wise. I used to travel all the time and it's so weird to just be like, oh my God, I don't even know if I'm gonna remember how to travel and yet I'm one of those like million milers and that's just on one airline, you know? Like I have traveled my whole life and there's been Man, so little of that circumstance. I'm jealous. I'm looking forward to that and with my kids. I haven't taken them on a flight for since like 2015. I'm looking forward to that, but it's all in due course and I'm just looking forward to having, I'm not gonna say I'm gonna have quote unquote more time once we get up and running to the capacity that we're going to be doing but just to where it's easy to get off course and off balance in terms of taking care of myself and that is not yeah no it's it's so easy but I changed course on January 1st and that is I don't think everybody's built for being an entrepreneur. I don't think everybody's built that way. I know that's the case, but I will say for me, I am a very high functioning person. I can multitask. I can get a lot of things done mm-hmm. and focused and you know, I can juggle a lot of things. But what I said was I am going to take care of myself and I'm not going to be the caboose anymore and I'm going to be happy. Nicole, I think that is the best New Year's resolution ever. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. How do you even go about planning something like that? What do you do? It's my husband and me. And then I will say, and then we have these satellite entities and people that we rely upon to do other stuff. So our relaunch entails five new fishing rod models that we are launching for the first time. Okay. 14 new fly lines. We've never launched fly lines. They're all made in the United States. We've been working on that for two years. The rods we've been working on for more than two years. So I think I saw the the fly line colors. Yeah. And I just want them to have them because they're really pretty. (laughs) I'm like, I don't even know what I would do with these, but I want them. And some of those have never been ever made before. We use a a core in material in one of them that's never been done before. So we have that stuff. We have apparel that we've done. You know, we've had amazing opportunities in apparel, but apparel is so capital heavy on the front. Yeah. You have to have enough and enough sizes and blah, blah, blah. I have always hesitated, but what we decided to do is partner with the guy who has been doing all of our embroidery or the things that we've needed and that I okay other companies. We're partnering with him to utilize his specialty because he's got all the machines. He has the manufacturing stuff to do the decorating. We can order together. I can help do the design work and pick the colors and do all this stuff. And we're partnering to do that together so that I don't have to do it myself and then sure. can't walk and go just do this stuff and then pay all that stuff. So that is part of what we're dealing with. Jason is building the website. He's already put in probably about 650 hours on oh it my because God. we have only ever been direct sales. We are not in retail. We do not do wholesale. I think direct sales is the way to go, personally. Well, it, it, well I'll say, I mean, that was the, you know, the cringeworthy advice. Unless like, you're Duck Dynasty. Well, <laughs> Well, here's the thing, you know, Shark Tank, the show exists for people to watch slices of things. But I think one of the things to pay attention to on a show on that, and people probably scratch their heads when they're like, wow, those people have an amazing product. They've already had like major sales and the sharks are telling them, keep doing what you're doing. You don't need us. It's going to take away from what you're doing. And I'll tell you, that is some of the most important and valid advice that those people give because the sharks give because our model because we do everything direct it requires us to do what we did in the beginning which is 
major social marketing media and getting our products into the hands of our customers because ultimately the haters will always turn around and say well that person got a free product so of course they're going to say it's great for us our best resources are our paying customers who go out in forums and they go out online and they talk about our products our um, customer service us as a company us as people and what we're doing to innovate and that it's worth every single penny and if we can keep the margins inside of our company to then do philanthropy with, which we do, that's awesome. We set out to do or put it back into being able to produce more product. What you have to look at as a small business is, and my dad talked to me about this. If you don't scale appropriately, you will be out of business before you even started. And if you are able to sell a certain amount of product, you are able to keep a certain amount of the profits and revenue of that. Mm -hmm. You may very well not want to go above that because the sheer number of additional headaches, the amount of product that you may have to increase in making, supplying, may exceed what it is that you want in additional right. resources to keep up capacity, additional investment, additional this, that when you start looking at the numbers and I'll give you- It's not worth it. No, because I'll tell you what, for us, if we can keep the margins that we currently have, and it's not cheap to do things in the United States. We've had yeah. stuff sitting for weeks, 45 minutes from our house that came from across the country and they just wouldn't deliver it and you can't go pick it up. So and what we set out to do in the very beginning in 2017 was we are not making these products to blanket the world with them. We have fewer customers. We have fewer products out on the market, but we sell them for what they are worth. People who order a Ferrari, they put a huge payment down for that thing, knowing they're not going to get it for years. These days, it's probably really long, but yeah, for years, probably. sit in that thing, hold onto the steering wheel and take it for their first drive. Anyone who makes a product who is making and striving to make the very, very best. People will wait for that. And it's not because they should have to wait. It's because good things take time. And for people who value that, as opposed mm -hmm. to getting a discount or getting something free, or you should do this for me or whatever, that's fine. Go look at a different company that's willing to do that. They can afford to give that stuff away. Those aren't the spokespeople we need. At this point, our customer base, which we kept, and we took care of and made difficult choices mm -hmm. during the struggle of years to say, you know what? We have a finite amount of parts. We're going to not try to sell more. We will sell here and there. We will not promote this strongly. We will keep to ourselves for the time being. We will put our heads down. We will get new products ready to go. If we never can make another part for our originals, we will have something else we can do for our customers that already bought them. Sure. And in the event that we can produce more products, like mm -hmm. we will then continue to do that. But in the meantime, we will use what we have to service our current customers so that we do not let them down. And we will maintain stock in what we have currently. Okay. So we can even potentially give them a I brand. Mean, loyalty is hard to get, right? So if you have loyal customers, I would take one of those over 10, you know, fly by night. Like, oh, I saw your ad. Yes, that's right. And so what we did was we did maintain our customer base. We've done right by our customers to the best of our ability. We treat them as though we would want to be treated if we were a customer. So I want to get back to talking about fishing. And I want to know where your favorite place to fish is in the U.S. Um, I think I'm going to have to say probably Montana. I'm much more of a freshwater fisherman. I okay. love fishing in the salt too. And I, I still water fishing is really fun. But Montana, and I'll say Montana probably of all the states anyway, is where I've done the majority of my personal fly fishing in the States. But it's the snowy winters that I'm just not sure I want to like partake in at this point in my life, but- Just a fur coat. It's so beautiful over there. Montana is not the same from east to west and north to south. It's sure and beautiful and there's lots of wildlife and not as many people. And there are so many different pieces oh, of water. Fish, I, so. I feel you. So anywhere in the world, that's your favorite. Well, I'm going to probably be slightly partial to, to Chile and or Argentina, but 
I don't blame you. I've never been there for so many personal reasons. And that's really where my fly fishing you know, started, but I have lots of memories there with my dad and my clients and with Jeff and just friends that I have that are down there and mm-hmm. all those different waters and places. And I got to see some amazing things because I was so long ago that I've been in places in Chile where nobody's ever been before, you know, I had to fly in by helicopter and, you know, nobody's there in the middle of nowhere in the fjords of Chile. And that's something very special. Okay, so now we're going back to the world of personal life and mom life. If you could have a day to yourself, what would you do or where would you go? <laughs> I would just have some peace and quiet. And I I think I would actually probably spend it with my my cousin, Amy, who's like my sister. And oh my God, you're like the other Monica. Her cousin's her <laughs> best friend too. We would just go somewhere and be how we are together, which is like we're little girls and we just know each other so well that we don't even have to say anything to say something. You know what I mean? If I could do something that was like non-human at this point, I would go back in time and have a day with my, one more day with my dad. Oh, yeah. 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 That's totally understandable. It's kind of like having babies or probably an orgasm where you don't know what it's like to have (laughs) Not not that I want to put my dad and orgasm in the same field of vision, really, but until you no, know. until you have it, you don't yeah. know what it's like. <laughs> that was the feeling that I had when he was gone. And yeah. even just with the health of my mom. But when they are gone, that is a feeling that you can't replicate. At least I don't believe, especially with the relationship that I have and have. With yeah, them. obviously you two are very, very close. Okay, so we're moving beyond loss and we're moving into superpower territory. If you had a superpower, what would it be? I'll tell you mine if you if you need some inspiration. I would like to never have to sleep. Oh. Because I could get so much done. Yeah, but if you sleep, you get to dream and solve things in your sleep and wake up with ideas. Yeah, no, but not if you're a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... I think if I had a superpower, it's like what my kids say all the time. I think I would want to be able to teleport, literally close my eyes, snap my fingers and be somewhere else in that moment. And I'd have to be able to like carry the stuff back with me or with Mm -hmm. me, like transport there. But like, imagine if you didn't have to drive to the store, you could just like snap your fingers and be there. But especially like- That's kind of a great superpower. I think would save the extra time, even in my house, like snap my fingers, I'd be downstairs. So that, I think that would be it, teleporting. Okay, I like that answer. I really want to thank you for taking the time to be on our Spotlight episode because female entrepreneurs have a really close place in my heart and you're one of them. Friends, if you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to go fishing, you know the place to go. Follow Nicole and Master Nymph on Instagram. They can follow Master Nymph for the, the fly rods, the apparel, the fly lines. They can follow Nymph Master if they are crafty and they want to tie flies. It's just the reverse name. In their oh, okay. I didn't realize there was a difference. Yeah, there's I- two companies. Nymph Master was the fallback failsafe in the event that he couldn't work with me at Master Nymph. Nicole, do you have any parting thoughts for us and our friends? I would just say if you have a dream and you've got something where you are solving a problem, do not be deterred by other people's naysaying. If you are determined to do something, do it and everything will show up. Just keep on the path. Don't veer off unless the veering off is going to be a more fruitful and fulfilling exercise. It's, I love that. It's a lot of work, but it's also the most enjoyable feeling. Just the little the little victories and the big ones. You feel everything and it is very satisfying to make people happy by making things and creating solutions for them. If you want more Two Monicas in a Microphone, follow us on Instagram at Two Monicas Podcast. That's with the number two. And don't forget to hit the share button.